Hello, everyone. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Nicolas, congratulations on your first uh, uh, Hong Kong event. I hope many will follow. Um, uh, first, first, first of all, let me start uh, by introducing my fellow panelists here. Uh, to my right is Mr. Elvin uh, Fossen. He's from Pareto Securities. Uh, next to Elvin is Mr. David Palmer, who's an advisor at, uh, in Langton Shipping. Uh, next to, to David is uh, Mr. Peter uh, Vessel Ass, and and he's the uh, Peter Dylan, yeah. uh, Vice President of Friendly Securities. Uh, Thank you, Peter. Asset-backed financing. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, all right. Thanks. And then, uh, last but not least, we have Mr. Joachim uh, uh, Jürger Skorge, uh, who is uh, the Managing Director and Regional Head of Asia Pacific Investment Banking uh, of DNB Markets uh, uh, in Asia. So, uh, thank you very much. Um, uh, I'm very happy to be here, as I said. Uh, we know that uh, um, the, the source of capital has been an issue which has been uh, very much discussed the past 10 years after the credit crunch, of course. Uh, we have seen a lot of new products uh, coming into the market, um, particularly from Asia, um, the past uh, de decade. Um, we, we've also seen uh, certain interesting transactions, uh, bond deals um, in, uh, in, in Europe and in other uh, jurisdictions. Selling leaseback uh, has been offered by a number of players, not just uh, from Chinese lessors, but also from other uh, players like uh, funds and, and other investment uh, companies, um, but the real question now, and given what's happening in shipping in general, um, and given what's happening with the banks, with Basel IV, is where do we go from here? What's going to happen in the next 10 years? And we all know about the I IMO 2020 regulations, which will certainly have an impact. Um, it seems that financing is becoming the third element uh, next to supply and demand in, in shipping. Uh, you know, a lot of people have difficulty sourcing finance. But I want to ask my, my fellow panelists, uh, which do they think uh, is going to be the predominant uh, source of capital uh, in the foreseeable future? Maybe Elvin would like to start. I think that uh, I agree with uh, our former panel that uh, I think the traditional shipping lending will uh, will play a vital role uh, going forward. Uh, I think that uh, there will be more uh, uh, relationship directed. Uh, uh, we also think that uh, Chinese uh, leasing houses will still be a very, very important uh, uh, play a very important role in the future as well. Uh, I think that uh, uh, what's going to be different, at least in the couple uh, next couple of years, I think that we're bullish on. Uh, on the uh, uh, opportunity to source equity capital. Uh, we've seen uh, very low order books and we've seen a favorable uh, development in, uh, in equity markets, especially for LPG and especially for tankers. Uh, and as we've started to see the uh, IMO 2020 story uh, beginning to play out, uh, I think that there might be an interesting opportunity to source uh, equity capital both in, in uh, private and uh, in the public space. David, do you agree? Um, yes, I think capital is, is scarce, so you can't leave any stone unturned in where you go to look for that. I mean, Oslo raised 28% of shipping's equity in the last 12 months, and they raised 50% of the offshore equity required. So in a, in a bad market, people go to Oslo. 
right? Because that's Oslo's where you're going to find it. I think as we get to a, a better market where it's easier to raise equity, then you're going to see the US come into its own. Mm. And the US will be a bigger source of capital as the market's correct mm. than, than, than Oslo in, as it goes through. I think for individual projects, I mean, if you've got a good project at a good yard and you've got investor-friendly incentives and you've got you, know, you, can, you, can, you can get it financed if it's the right structure. If you've got some funny assets, um, they're esoteric in one way, shape, or form, then you've got to make sure that they're funded to delivery. You've got to make sure you've got an attractive new building price and you pass that on to the investors. You've got to be transparent about what the underlying contract is and it hasn't got sort of cancellation for convenience clauses and, and what have you. And you've got to have a viable second-hand market for that asset. It's not like an FPSO, which is very difficult to finance. But I think if you can hit all the right buttons, then you can, you can raise capital in, in either of those markets. Okay. All right. Uh, Peter. Um, yeah. So just uh, for a uh, historical backdrop, uh, since 2016, uh, Friendly Securities has raised five, approximately $5 billion worth of equity. Uh, two and a half billion dollars worth of, of bond financing and a billion dollars worth of asset-backed financing. Um, I don't necessarily believe that IMO 2020, BWTS, those regulations uh, are going to impact to such a great extent how companies fund themselves going forward. I think if equity markets are open and firms price attractively, they will print equity, similar with bonds. Uh, that said, I think the way that ship owners tackle these regulatory changes will make a big difference on how they're conceived by the investor community. Um, the most notable change, I think, in terms of how ship owners fund themselves is, uh, is the fact that approximately $150 billion worth of bank capital has left the market since 2011. Now, that has largely been replaced by lease financing. Um, and by that, I'm not saying that lease financing is going to be the predominant source of capital going forward, uh, but it definitely constitutes the largest change um, around how ship owners obtain uh, funding. Do you see other players uh, entering into the leasing world other than the funds and the Chinese uh, leasing companies? Do you see others? Do you see Europeans forming um, you know, um, leasing houses? Uh, not to the extent we would like to see yet, uh, but from other parts of the world, definitely. Okay, thank you. Uh, Joachim, um, from, from your perspective? Well, I, I think uh, definitely the world of uh, ship financing is uh, changing. Um, I think there are many reasons for that. Uh, I think in general we see that our clients are becoming a lot more sophisticated in the type of uh, products that they use. You know, so a lot of them are moving away from just a straight, you know, uh, typical bank financing and using a lot more structured products, you know, uh, either as a, an alternative or as a complement to traditional uh, bank financing. Um, also, um, I, I think, uh, you know, the reason for that is really two things, you know, having a competitive cost of capital is extremely important in, in the industry. Uh, we've been through a number of bad years, so uh, the focus on that has been even more than, than before. And secondly, there's been uh, a number of uh, alternative capital providers you know, emerging in the market. And uh, of course, um, here in Asia, I, I think the, first and foremost, we've seen uh, 
the Chinese leasing market uh, exploding, um, also venturing into some structures beyond leasing. Uh, but also there's a number of uh, alternative capital providers in the West that have been established and are very active doing anything from uh, alternative lending deals, you know, mess capital, uh, leasing, etc. etc. So um, as a bank, you know, we, we feel that our business model is also changing. You know, we used to be quite focused on uh, traditional bank financing, and then we did capital markets and M&A in addition to that. Um, now, more and more, we're also a connector in terms of capital. So, you know, when we work with clients in terms of the capital needs, it's not only based on what the bank can provide from our own balance sheets. Um, you know, we're looking at a mix of that and also what we can provide from alternative uh, capital uh, providers. Um, just one comment on uh, sort of the regulatory um, sort of aspect that was mentioned as well. I, I think that um, increasingly will come into to play. I think it's very important for uh, companies to have a sort of clear strategy when it comes to ESG. You know, more and more investors are focused on this, more and more banks are focused on this. Um, definitely seems to be something that is here to stay. How it eventually will play out with all the uncertainty both for finance providers and the ship owners um, and with all the different technologies, it's a little bit early to say, but um, I, I think this is something that both finance providers and ship owners have to be very, very focused on and have a sort of clear strategy uh, for. On the other hand, I think it could be good for the market in the sense that uh, I, I do think some ship owners are a little bit reluctant now in terms of uh, just ordering a, a bunch of ships, even though the market is improving, uh, with all the uncertainty related to that aspect going, going forward. So hopefully that will help maintain some market balance for, for some time at least. Thank you. I mean, we, we've seen the banks embracing uh, green shipping. Um, for example, uh, we, we've been involved in the implementation of the Poseidon uh, principles in the documentation of Poseidon principles. Do you think that the banks will solely focus on, on uh, green shipping going forward and would definitely make the, you know, uh, financing these assets, uh, you know, uh, doable? Or, or, or do you think that banking in general will have to diversify its uh, financing Financing, uh, you know, in this sector, because we we have seen banks withdrawing. Uh, do you think that if they are to finance an asset which complies and which is, you know, for example, a dual-fueled uh, vessel, would that make it more more appealing for a banker? I I think. Uh you know, this will be a gradual shift, but uh, I think banks, including our own, are under a lot of pressure also from our shareholders and other stakeholders in terms of, you know, um, looking at this very seriously. Um, I, I think uh, shipping in general is considered to be a bit of a dirty business. Uh, that said, you know, uh, if you look at uh, making vessels more fuel efficient, um, you know, that can actually have a very positive uh, impact uh, on, on the environment. and. Uh, uh, we recently participated in uh, one of the first green bond deals done uh, in uh, in shipping for for TK. Um, they got a light green sort of a rating, as as it's called. Um, that deal was a little bit controversial. Some people said, you know, oil tankers are not green enough. But uh, actually, the environmental impact on having these hybrid vessels is is very very significant. So I think it's a step in the right direction for for sure. <laughs> Um, 
but uh, again, it will be a gradual shift. Gradual shift. It's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. David, you've been in shipping for 40 years, and I just wanted to ask you, I mean, you mentioned that um, the U.S. markets are closed effectively for, for shipping these days. Um, do you, you mentioned that, that this will change once the markets change, but do you think another factor is that uh, the U.S. markets would be looking, um, you know, to finance a particular sector, or, you know, do you think that the problem is with the market, or maybe with the form of the company? I, I think right now investors are, are wary of, of the shipping market because it's promised so much and delivered so little. Um, you know, weak earnings, low confidence, uh, the reputation of the industry, that's all pricing up, uh, pricing up the equity and pricing up the debt. And if we can get uh, CSR, which is investor friendly, it meets their aims and where it goes through, that's all for the, all for the better. Um, and, and then frankly, at the moment, shipping is almost close to being considered an uninvestable pariah, particularly offshore. Um, so things need to change to be able to, to make this much more investor friendly. And so each of those moves are a step in the right direction, but they're not a panacea in themselves. Okay. Elvin, I, I just wanted to ask you, I mean, mm. we've seen a number of bonds being issued in Norway. Do you think that the investors would be looking into, uh, you know, um, financing public companies easier than other types of companies? Is, is the form of the company important? Uh, or do you think that the business is, you know, the predominant factor? I think that uh, in terms of the bond market, the listing always helps. Uh, you have uh, companies that uh, report regularly and investors have seen them in the capital markets. Uh, they can read the reports and uh, you just have more information about the company uh, out there. It also helps in the bond market to already be an uh, existing issuer. You don't have to be a listed company, but uh, you've seen that uh, uh, it's difficult to sort of be a first issuer and get the trust, the proper trust in the bond market. But once you've uh, done the first issue, it's easier to, to return to the market. So it sort of opens up uh, another pocket of capital. I see. Peter, do you agree? Uh, yeah, I don't really have too much to add to that, to be completely honest. I think uh, the one thing um, I could add on, on the bond market is that I think industry-educated investors have typically been supportive of the bond market for, for many years now. I think, um, I think that, uh, that particularly the growth, in firstly, in bonds um, is, is, go is going to, to increase. Um, I think it gives a pretty good risk-reward uh, uh, value proposition for, for the investors. Now, our expectations is for issue sizes to, to uh, increase as banks pull back and, um, and to cater for growth. I think as you see issue sizes increase, you will also expand your investor universe uh, to more pockets in, in uh, US and Asia, which uh, hopefully will, will make uh, the bond market for shipping more global than it is today. Okay. Can, can I ask you all a question? Why is it that the Hong Kong stock, stock exchange hasn't really become a factor in this type of uh, financings uh, globally? I know that there are some com companies listed here, of course, like Pacific Basin. Why is it Hong Kong that hasn't been you know, a factor? Because if you think about it, capital is in Asia these days. So one would assume that the local stock exchange should uh, be playing a role. Do you think that something needs to be done? Do you think that there are other fundamentals which block uh, you know, this happening? I, I think the main issue over the last few years has been the market. 
you know, we've seen very little capital markets activity anywhere in the world, you know, for for shipping and maritime, except in Oslo, which has been the sort of the relative uh, winner. Um, I think it's telling that on this panel today we have three Norwegians and one associated Norwegian with uh, with David. So uh, a lot of the, the the shipping investment banking is actually you know focused on on Norway these days because that's where the activity has uh, has been. Um, I'm sure as the market is uh, improving and normalizing, and we also see more activity in, in Hong Kong. Uh, I think Hong Kong is uh, still a leader when it comes to listings in Asia. Um, I think also it's a very attractive place to be if you have a, a strong angle towards uh, China and, and Asia in, in particular. So um, I, I think you have to look at the overall market and, and not just look at uh, Hong Kong on an isolated uh, basis. I, I would add that you, we haven't seen many new issues in, in Hong Kong that have not come from the mainland. So we've not seen international um, offerings come to the market. Uh, but I do think that we're going to see the emergence of the Chinese equity investor. And I think we're starting to see that in the way that the Chinese financial institutions are coming through. And these investors in China are looking for US dollar denominated uh, risk. They've got plenty of renminbi in a, in a depreciating renminbi environment. And that renminbi is moving into Hong Kong, getting the peg, and they're in US dollars. And whilst lots of people don't tell you that's the reason why all these leasing companies are in Hong Kong, one of the key reasons is it's US dollar denominated risk. And that's where they're going through. I wouldn't personally be surprised if 20 years from now that Shenzhen and Shanghai and perhaps Hong Kong um, don't replace Oslo and, and, and New York, if you want to be controversial, would replace them as, a, as the where is the equity coming from from shipping. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, so just to add to that, if you look at the investor demographics in the deals that we have uh, arranged over the last 36 months, you will see that three quarters of that capital actually emanates from the UK, the US, and Norway. So, you know, I think that's kind of a, a good reason why you see approximately 80% of shipping and offshore capital uh, resides in New York and Oslo alone. Now, to David's point, that may very well change in the future. I, I think, if I can add to that, I think um, you know, typically what we see, and uh, I think David was touch upon, touching upon this earlier, is that you know when the markets are more challenging, um, you know the Nordic markets are early movers. You know you have uh, people in the Nordics and investors active in the Nordics and UK and elsewhere, who are very uh, comfortable with doing um, counter cyclical investments. Uh, and I think most of the deals we've seen in the Oslo market has been of, of that nature. Obviously, as the market is getting stronger and more mainstream, typically we see broader following, both internationally and, and also some interest from Asia. That, that has at least been the history of it. Okay. Thank you. Uh, in terms of banking, I'm going back to banking briefly because, I mean, we had a chat with Joachim about banking, but I wanted to ask you all, do you really think that it's the end of it? Uh, do you think that it will shrink uh, even more or do you think that it will evolve into something different uh, going forward? Um, Elvin, if you would like to. No, I, I think I agree with the former panel there that uh, we've seen uh, traditional uh, lending banks uh, pull a bit back and now I think that they're at the level that they're comfortable uh, with. Uh, I think they're always will be there to support uh, quality assets and quality ship owners uh, and uh, be sort of a more of a relationship focus going forward. So I think that there will, there will definitely be supportive uh, going forward. 
I, I would say that there's, there's no longer a clear rationale for the banks being in the dominant role. They've not been very successful in shipping. Um, the returns that they've got from shipping have been poor. Um, they, uh, by now, have realized that this type of asset class behaves differently than real estate. And they, at the moment, are uh, only prepared to, to lend to their existing clients. And that is creating the arbitrage which allows the Chinese financial leasing companies to come in, but it also brings in the sort of ocean yields and the SFLs to fill, fill that gap. Um, but I think in, in the long run, shipping's got to sort of focus and find if you're only getting a 5 or 6% long-term return on your capital as a shipping company, you can't afford to go to these so-called private equity guys who are really showing you mezzanine debt at 10%. It's not sustainable to run a shipping company with a 10% cost of capital. So they, I don't think, represent the long-term future. But I think we should be starting to focus on the sovereign wealth funds and the pension funds who can take a much longer view of shipping in particular. Um, and I think that would help us uh, greatly to help move that funding gap along. Um, yeah, I think uh, the picture is, is nuanced, but I think the short answer is, is a clear no. Um, and I think part of the reason why is because if you ask any leasing institution, uh, likelihood is that the majority of them will tell you that bank financing is actually cons consequential to their business model. Um, at least the leasing institutions that we deal with, um, among those that have called it an unconditional access to bank capital, have a huge advantage to the ones that don't. So I don't think that banking is dying, but I do think that to an increasing extent it's, it has a changed face in the sense that uh, they're pulling back, and I'll choose my words carefully here, Joachim, uh, they're pulling back from the front lines to a larger extent, putting leasing companies in between them uh, and borrowers that don't fall into the sort of tier one uh, borrower category, um, which is kind of the, the more appealing and the risk-weighted assets uh, for, for banks. And I'll leave, yeah. leave it up to you to... Uh, so I guess you are, you are the most qualified to give us an opinion, Joachim, I guess. No, I, I think, you know, banks are here to stay, and I agree with the previous panel on that. Uh, I, I think, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the, the business models for banks, it's uh, evolving. I, I think today there's, um, I, I guess, broadly two business models that work. You know, either you're very, very focused on um, asset financing, and you do that very well. You're willing to take on, um, you know, small and medium-sized clients. Um, you finance high-quality assets, you know, uh, at prices that are, you know, relatively okay. In a cyclical point of view, you have a moderate leverage. You know, the margins are higher, the fees are higher, um, and just focus on doing that really, really well. And I think that's that's a very interesting business model if you can get it right. Um, alternatively, you can do something like DNB which is uh, you know, more focused on um, you know, larger uh, clients, um, typically clients that are you know, quite sophisticated in terms of how they finance themselves, also uh, where there's an opportunity for us to cross-sell in terms of doing capital markets, in terms of doing leasing, um, in terms of uh, you know, doing structured finance in, in general. Uh, because uh, obviously on these clients, just you know, the margin in itself 
um, may not be you know adequate in terms of getting um, enough return on our capital and I think for most banks you know the capital has actually become more more expensive you know for uh, regulatory and other reasons over the past few few years um, so uh, I think those are the two sort of models you will see going going forward um, but banks are definitely here to to stay and I think uh, you know DNB has been uh, in this business for for many many de decades, and there are no plans to uh, to not be here, you know, for the next uh, few decades either. Okay, now I'm going to talk about Chinese leasing, and uh, Joachim, I'd like to speak to you first because uh, banks uh, now seem to cooperate with Chinese leasing. Well, not now, the, the past three or four years, we see a lot of back funding uh, of uh, leasing project, uh, you know, uh, projects from uh, Western banks. Uh, do you see DNB uh, becoming involved in this, um, or could, could could there be another way with which you know in which you could work with the Chinese leasing houses? Um, okay, so um, there, there's so two angles for us as a bank when it comes to Chinese leasing. Um, you know, uh, I think where we've been the most active is that we have been arranging a number of transactions. So this year alone, we arranged um, a 20-ship deal for um, Stolt Nielsen, the chemical tanker company. We also did a smaller transaction for Odfjell, also a chemical tanker company. And we also in the process of con concluding a major transaction with uh, Genting on the crew side. Uh, so arranging transactions, that's uh, very active for us. Mm. Uh, also, what we're starting to look at is to also provide bank debt into the structures. Um, you know, for us, that's um, you know early stage, but certainly something we intend to do. Okay. Now, if uh, David, you you were one of the uh, you know first uh, in Hong Kong to do business with the Chinese leasing companies. Do you think that their product has evolved the past five five years? How do you see their their business uh, coming about? You know, in the fu future, going about in the future. Well, I mean, China's the second biggest shipping nation on earth so we all have to pay attention to what's 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 happening there and you're seeing the vertical integration of of the shipping supply chain within china which is meaning that the the CA, the chinese financial leasing companies and and the financial financial institutions in general are becoming much more optimistic opportunistic so they're moving down the shipping supply chain we're in ports we're in tugs we're owning tonnage we're not just leasing anymore we we're, we're taking risk we're taking operating risk we're taking residual value risk so it's a whole new um, controlling of that shipping supply chain as they move through it. I, I think in future we're going to see the Chinese financial institutions staking stakes in some of the service providers, maybe in companies like V-Ships rather than private equity companies doing that, or in Anglo-Eastern, Peter. <laughs> but, so, so, but they will, as they move down that supply chain, you'll see them increasingly moving into those, those types of industries and not just owning tonnage as it goes through. Their problem is, of course, that they don't really have the quality of personnel yet to be able to get that through, and they struggle sometimes in dealing with the charterers. And if they're trying to put vessels on to Cargill, Cargill has, a, has, a, has an issue as to whether the, that particular leasing company can operate those vessels effectively with their own things. But these 
the Chinese leasing companies have now developed and have started to become mature enough, and as we heard from ICBC, they're opening offices in distant parts of the world. world. That means that they are becoming, um, they're disintermediating the traditional um, ship brokers or the traditional arrangers. So we should be aware that that's, that's going to happen as they try to build closer relationships with each of those people. And that will mean that they will go direct and that will be tougher for the intermediaries that are around. I think it's going to Joachim's thing that, that yes, underneath this, why are the banks lending to the Chinese financial institutions? They're lending to them because under Basel III, it makes an awful lot more sense to list to lend your money to a rated organization, which is what the Chinese leasing companies are, and that you can loan that not as a shipping loan, but as an interbank loan at interbank rates. And therefore, the Chinese leasing company is therefore able to arbitrage that opportunity by combining that with their equity raises in bonds from Japan or from wherever, yeah. and being using that as the, as the equity plus the underlying, um, underlying international banks providing the finance for that. So there's a whole new a whole change in structure in what's going through and the shipping industry in general needs to be aware that this is happening and has to learn to adapt to that as, it, as we yeah. go forward. A lot of people globally uh, think that uh, Chinese leasing companies fund projects by using mainland derived uh, monies, but in reality, the reality is completely... I think the de debt is coming from that way, but I think increasingly you will find that the equity it's coming from, is coming yeah, from, from, other from, from their... their Mother companies yeah. raising equity to yeah. provide the equity yeah. for yeah. these projects. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Peter, I know that Fernley is, is also involved in um, in Chinese leasing. Uh, do you see the uh, the way they operate um, to have matured compared to the beginning? Do you think that it's more streamlined with how Western banks uh, operate in the sector? Um, I think I think it's. Uh, it's a complicated question with with many answers, uh, but to try to be brief and concise, I think uh, in terms of product offering, so size, uh, pricing, etc., I think Chinese leasing has emerged as a very viable uh, alternative to traditional ship financiers, uh, certainly. In terms of business conduct, speed, and, and agility, um, I think it's important to keep in mind that these institutions came from practically zero less than 10 years ago yeah. uh, and are built on a very different corporate DNA than what we are used to in the West. Um, so I think short to medium term, there are still differences. Um, additionally, we're seeing an increasing trend towards looking at operational models, uh, kind of a tonnage provider model among Chinese leasing, which obviously uh, sets themselves further apart. So. Um, you know, I think there's still uh, still a difference there. Okay. Anybody wants to add anything about the evolution of Chinese leasing? You know, how it started, where it is now, and where it will be in a few years. I think it's it's it, it's it's easy to generalize, but actually, the leasing companies don't all all operate the same way. Because you take a look at CSSC leasing or CSIC leasing, they're clearly trying to complement support their, their yards. Support their yards. Yeah. Um, some of the other companies are much freer to do what they like, but I would say that underneath that, there, are, there is the need for Chinese insurance, for Chinese crewing. So it's, it's clearly by China. Yeah. Um, so I think we should be aware that underneath, underneath that, there is a, a bigger sort of belt and road type philosophy okay. going forward. Do all of you think that Chinese leasing is here to stay? Then should I assume that? Yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> okay. 
All right. Uh, last question. Uh, I've seen a couple of deals, you know, uh, involving Western ship owners uh, deriving from Japan and uh, Taiwan. Do you see these financiers becoming more glo global oriented in the future? Because we know, for example, the Japanese market is a bit more um, conservative uh, in, in, in the way they approach things. Uh, do you think that they're going to become more global and they're going to be doing business with the usual suspects uh, globally uh, to a larger extent? Anyone wants to? Um, I, I'm happy to start here. Um, so we have a pretty good footprint in Japan, I would say, um, among the lease deal, leasing deals we've done. Uh, the vast majority of has actually uh, been in Japan. Uh, and so I definitely do think that from conversations that we've had in Japan, they're, they're increasingly looking outwards, uh, wanting to do business uh, globally, uh, especially with, uh, with uh, uh, their whole market, uh, you know, excess capital uh, that they need to, uh, to employ. But I think uh, in opposition to Chinese leasing, they don't have the same ability to do size. So uh, what the Chinese have done in the last years is just do enormous sizes. That is not something where we'll see from Japan anytime soon. So I think it will get there eventually, but it will take a lot more time. Anyone else wants to add something? Japan, Taiwan. No, I, I, <clears throat> it's a market that we're spending more time on, and uh, you know where we are developing a, a presence. But uh, I think it's relatively small and more fragmented compared to Chinese leasing for now. Uh, I think you know Chinese leasing has become very big. You know, big institutions. You know, a lot of players with different strategies. Also what we see with the Chinese players is that they have been uh, expanding their business model in terms of the type of deals that they can do. Um, so, but uh, we, we're definitely spending time uh, also uh, when it comes to Taiwan, uh, Japan, and, and also Korea. I think the Japan market is very tax-driven. Um, the aircraft leasing model that the Japanese have used is now generating more a surplus of funds for that, so they're trying to deploy that into into shipping. So I think we'll see more of the Japanese, and possibly the same could be said for the Koreans of the same thing, is that there's not as many aircraft deals to do, hmm. so it'll permeate into shipping. shipping. But it's more expensive than other finance, yeah. and less flexible. I think that uh, just to just to s or sum up or uh, take a different path there, it's been uh, it's been a lot of talk about uh, traditional lending banks and uh, and uh, leasing houses. I think that from a ship owner's perspective as well, you have to also be uh, mindful about uh, the products that uh, uh, necessarily aren't or aren't necessarily financed by uh, the traditional uh, financing sources. I think it's uh, important to. Uh, investigate every uh, every path to, uh, every path uh, to capital. If that's a ship for sale transaction or sale leaseback transaction or, or or bond financing, I think that it's important to look at uh, your feet and, uh, and financing from a portfolio perspective. Fully agree with that, mm. and uh, I think it's important to work with an advisor in that respect. But um, I just want to pick up uh, on one thing you said, and uh, that is ship for share transactions. Um, we talked about listings and the advantages of being listed uh, earlier. Um, what we see now across the shipping universe is that more and more companies are trading close to or at NAV. 
Um, we also know that there's a big overhang in terms of uh, private companies that have been looking for you know, monetizing their investments, liquidity. It's difficult to list on a standalone basis uh, because size is more and more important uh, among investors and in today's market. So uh, I, I think, you know, I, I agree with you, Ivan. Uh, we will see a lot more ship for share transactions, uh, you know, over the next couple of years uh, if the market is holding up. Thank you all. Nicholas, I'm not sure we have time for any questions from the floor. We've got three, three minutes. Yeah. If anybody wants to ask any questions. <laughs> yeah. No, I was very happy with uh, with a lot of references to Greece. ICBC is opening banks in Greece. Maybe Eric will will open one one day, which means that I can go home. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs>